Welcome to the Glee Man's Apprentice, a Wheel of Time podcast. I am your Glee Man, Twish Avery. And I am his apprentice, Mandy Cat. Cat has already read the first four books of the series, there are always potential spoilers up through the Shadow Rising. And after that, I'll be reading the rest of the books for the very first time with my Glee Man, Twitch. Welcome back. To another episode of the Glee Man's Apprentice. I am your Glee Man Twitch. And I'm his apprentice, Mandy Cat. How's it going tonight, Mandy? Good. Yeah. I work went a little late. Then I had to run home to supper, but here I am, ready to go. It's perfect timing. Perfect yes. timing. And uh tonight is a uh, the beginning of a new book. And for this occasion we have decided to go ahead and invite a guest on for a non-songwriting episode. Um, and I couldn't think of anybody better to have on than um, Morgan, the host of Podcast of the Dragon. Morgan, how are you today? I'm doing well. Excellent. Um, do you want to tell us uh, uh, what you do in the, um, in the community? Yeah, uh, I host Podcast of the Dragon, which is, um, it's a show that I do by myself. It's a, I call it an empathy-driven podcast with a topical literary analysis bent. So I just go through the series and look at different topics and just kind of do what I consider like really, you know, lazy and haphazard English papers and um, yeah, just talk about stuff, and uh, but it's a, a lot of fun, and um, in the community, I just, I, you know, provide some of the questions through the Watt Trivia and Games, and I just, I don't know, I'm there, I'm, I'm running around, collabing with people, and uh, yeah, just doing my thing. Awesome, I, uh, I, I love your podcast, and I don't know how you do it by yourself, I, I don't know if I could do that, 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 that seems like it would be very hard I, I i enjoy hearing myself talk but i don't at the same time <laughs> it's incredibly labor intensive and for anybody who wants to start a podcast yeah hearing yourself talk at first is really painful and i recommend exposure therapy um i started my first thing i did a guest spot on uh the wheel of time spoilers and i just made myself listen to that episode over and over again until it stopped being painful. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because in the beginning I do all our editing and in the beginning I was mostly just editing out me 
because I hated we talk. Um, and I've gotten better. At, and, and you're right. Like I've I've listened to myself so much in editing these episodes. I've gotten better, and I don't edit myself out as much. But in the beginning, everything everything I heard myself say, I was like, God, I'm such an idiot. That's cut. That's cut. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, talking freely, it's like how many times I say you know, or how many times I say like, and it's like my uh, my podcast is very structured in the sense that I do two drafts. And so when I do my second draft, because I run the first one through a transcription app, yeah, I'm going through and I'm taking out all the likes and you knows and all that kind of stuff, yeah. as well as like checking for fa you know fact checking and if something doesn't sound you know articulate or like it makes a lot of sense going through and fixing that kind of stuff so yeah i hear you um but anyways yeah i uh i i love the idea of having you on because of your empathy driven podcast and um amanda is uh a psychologist by profession and so um I, I thought that it would be, I'm not smart enough to really have these like <laughs> deep psychological conversations with men. I try, but I usually end up making myself sound like an idiot. So I thought this would be great to have you on so we can actually have some in-depth good conversations. And uh, with that, let's go ahead. We're, so we're starting the shadow rising. Amanda, you liked, uh, Mandy, you like to uh, talk about the cover, so. I do. I always like to look at the art. I don't know about you, Morgan, but it, and what's the artist's name again, Twitch? Uh, Daryl K. Sweet. Daryl K. Sweet, yeah. Um, I like it. Uh, so Shadow Rising, this is great. There's three people right on the front. There's a dude in a chair with a mug, a dude standing up with a bow, then a woman in blue over a fire and and like okay so everyone i've read this at the end of last summer this was the last book i read on my own before twitch wanted to start a podcast how i literally i'm staring at this i'm like i have no idea i can guess other aspects of the cover but the three people i'm like a bow isn't that supposed to be matt but the character himself looks like how they drew loyal um in the red that looks how they drew Loyal in Great Hunt. Then we've got, I, I would actually assume the sitting character is Rand because it's kind of the same. I'm, of course, I'm going off the last cover, but just like, looks like he knows what he's doing. Not that Rand knows what he's doing, but I feel like everyone would follow him. Then the woman I'm naturally going to jump to, don't know why, Egwene. I'm like, yeah. Egwene really likes blue and she has long, dark hair. Um, So, and then you see just, Oh, there is a Trolloc. I didn't see it the first time. You, they're like in a, it, it's definitely a landscape of stone columns is how I would describe it. And way, way, way in the back, definitely a Trolloc. And you're not going to see it on my Zoom screen, but there is a Trolloc. You see the little um, shadow in there. Weird cupboard in the back with the top cupboard open. I, I don't know what to think of that other than is someone coming out of the cupboard? <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> And then just back to just the scenery, a bunch of guys walking horses. They strike me as Aiel just because they're nondescript. And I feel like that's what Aiel would do. But Aiel don't have horses, right? They use them for pack animals. Uh, okay. Yeah. That makes more sense. So that's what I get out of this. Even the back of it is just more, it's, it's actually quite, it's a place I'd want to go like hike. It looks like a national park that I would actually guess Utah. It looks like own. Arches. It really does. Like the first time yeah. I saw this, I was like, wow, that looks like Arches National Park. Which yep. I think is what I'm reminded. I haven't been there, but I've seen pictures. So beautiful sunset, but definitely they are out and about. 
So that's what I got for the cover. Not much for me to predict off of it. And I literally can't even remember who's who. <laughs> so okay. that, that's all I got. Um, <clears throat> and then I don't know if Twitch, should we just jump into some of the writing? Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. And Morgan, just so you know, this is all we do. We just kind of read through and pause as much as we want to comment on stuff. Yeah. So yes, I Go oh, ahead. sorry. I've listened to several episodes. I made sure to, right. I tried to do my homework. So, um, but yeah, I appreciate it. Have we gotten better? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. You totally have. So, um, yeah, I was, I listened partway, like I've gotten up partway into the great hunt and then I listened to the episode that dropped today, but I only got partway through it. Yeah. Um, but just to get an idea of your progress. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I just go chronological, basically. Um, I want to warn every listener, there is so much detail in chapter one, which was also, what, 50 pages long, Twitch, yeah. that I had to dial back and say, I can't do chapters one and two. Like, I'm overwhelmed by chapter one when I t actually take notes. So, and, and, so and, we're doing chapter one. Yeah, no, and you, you were totally right. It's It was naive of me to think that we could actually do these two chapters together. It's there's there's and there's a lot in the next chapter too so so robert jordan starts off with the prophecy which essentially it's what we've already read there's a man that's going to be born of a maiden at dawn who will fight the shadow as according to prophecy much to the pain of the world he's saving and that's all i wrote about that there's not a prophecy in mine what the fuck in the very beginning after the after the um table I've, of contents i've got the ebook and oh. for the map yeah. All I've got is the dedication. Maybe because I've got it on continuous scrolling. I don't know, but I feel cheated if this is bullshit. Well, well I'll, I'll, I'll read it real fast. <laughs> um, the shadow shall rise across the world and darken every land, even to the smallest corner, and there shall be neither light nor safety. And he who shall be born of the dawn, born of the maiden, according to prophecy, he shall stretch forth his hands to catch the shadow, and the world shall scream in the pain of salvation. All glory to be to the Creator and to the light, and to he who shall be born again, may the light save us from him. From commentaries on the Corathian cycle, Serene Dar Shamela Motara, council sister to Kumela, high queen of Jaramide, circa 325 AB, the third age. Okay. So. So, so there's a dragon coming. Okay. Right. <laughs> Which, yeah, I keep prophecies as far as I'm concerned. I'm like either just left very confused or just waiting for it to be confirmed in a later book. And that's all I can say about Robert Jordan prophecies. Yeah. So and I don't correctly think too far. I mean, we know. Basically, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Morgan. Oh, I was going to say basically terror, chaos and destruction. And, you know, that's as it's going on. Yeah, basically. <laughs> you know. so, Spiraling snowball of world-changing fuckery is kind of how I, you know, succinctly put it. So exactly, and I will say, since I've uh, listened to your podcast, I use the term fuckery a lot more than I used to. <laughs> it's so good. There's like 101 definitions on Urban Dictionary. It's great. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. It, it takes it takes the most versatile uh, word of the English language, fuck, and just gives it a little bit more versatility. It's <laughs> <Yeah>, great. <laughs> um. But yeah, so we, we know that he who shall be born of the dawn is probably he who comes with the dawn, right? Yeah. Okay. It's Rand, guys. It's Rand. Yep. So chapter one, Seeds of Questions. 
starts off strong with the typical yada yada about the third age. Um, it might come for some, it also might be long past for others. So that indication of time, who knows where you're at in time, really. And the wind is rising on the plain of Caroline grass. And I'm wondering if that is some foreshadowing for adventures to come. I don't think I've heard of this plane yet. Unless you have a map answer for me, Twitch. It's on the map. It it is on the map. We can uh, we can go to the map. Does everybody have oh you have an ebook? But you have you have the map in the ebook? There's the map in the okay. ebook. I just got screwed out of the prophecy somehow. <laughs> um yeah, so if you go to your map, Mandy, um you will see uh, above Andor, directly above Andor. Yeah, I see it. It's it's to the uh, what is that? The southwest oh. of Tarvalon. Oh yeah, got it. All right. So when is rising closer and closer to Tarvalon. Per usual, no beginnings or ends with the wheel, but it was a beginning. Lengthy description of Dragon Mountain, Tarvalon, all its fancy bridges that everyone is in awe of, but people keeping a distance from the tower, albeit it's noted that the Wheel of Time turns around Tarvalon and Tarvalon turns around the tower. Also an apt description of the people keeping their distance that people love a great fireplace, but they keep distance from the flames. I appreciated that. <laughs> That's a good one. So that's just the setup. And then we find out we're going to be in the perspective of men. And we haven't seen her since the beginning of book three. Yeah. Just like we chapter... saw her in book two. Um, and then started off book three, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's, no. she's, she's in the mountains. <clears throat> excuse me. She's in the mountains with uh, Moraine and, and Perrin and Rand. And then when Rand disappears, Moraine sends her to the tower and they right. chase. So, and that happens. Right. We... Yeah, okay, we see her there. We Yeah, we haven't been in her perspective since book two. Though. You're right, you're right. Yeah. Not in her perspective, and we haven't checked in with her. Right. Okay. Okay, sorry. No, you're good, you're good. <laughs> Question me, please. <laughs> Men's disguising ourselves with longer hair and wearing an actual dress, which is an excellent disguise, by the way, because she would never do that. She's finishing the same errand Moraine had sent her that we had learned about in the beginning of book three, but thinking to herself, this is just for Rand, fool man. So she definitely still feels that bond for Rand. She enters the tower, which is full of other petitioners, albeit mostly women, as men are still shy around the power since the whole male ACID breaking the world thing 3,000 years ago. Also reference back to our buddy Luz Theron, Telemon, Dragon, Kinslayer, who started all this mayhem. Then thinks how people would be running if they knew the news she's carrying, which, you know, Rand claiming to be Dragon Reborn, you know. Yep. There's an accepted, failing, who approaches Min and appears bored with her role of asking what petitioners want. And I said, that drip. Clearly remembering her bullying. Was it a queen? Yeah, yep. I was I was wondering if you were gonna remember Phelan. Yeah. So Phelan does not look twice at men. Disguise is working. Great work. No one expects a pretty girl out of a tomboy. Poor men. Men pauses when she sees three ICD come into the room, not in the same awe as the other petitioners, so much as in awe of her viewings, which are always right. 
this is if either one of you wanted to read about them i didn't detail them out that's up to you twitch it's the bottom of page 18. the white flame of tarvalin on it showed for a moment when she turned her back and on her shoulder as if nestled among the grapevines and flowering apple branches worked on her shawl sat a human skull a small woman's skull picked clean and sun bleached the third a plumply pretty woman halfway around the room wore no shawl the lift of her chin and the set of her shoulders spoke of strength and pride. She seemed to be casting cool blue eyes on the petitioners through a tattered curtain of blood, crimson streamers running down her face. So every one of those I said I are going to die. And Min also figures on the same day, which is just unheard of to see three deaths that are all going to occur on the same day. So Min yeah. continues to request to Phelan that I need to see the seats and apparently people can do this although failing is quite rude and tells her yeah not gonna happen but eventually uh min wears her down and takes on the name elmandretta and tells her she's in for a long wait that's a beautiful name right <laughs> do you like it because min hates it <laughs> it's a men's actual given name elmandretta so a different novice comes and has bars in her face like in front of her face like she's in a cage and then she, um she also sees shiriam in the back because she wants to avoid shiriam but shiriam has a bruised face and, and min's realizing she's seeing all this violence and she's just shocked disbelief and just so you guys know first read through i do remember this because i kind of felt it again this time i at first thought these descriptions were super literal like how they're written i'm like oh my gosh who bruised Sherium and why you know what's this sickly halo thing so um which was pretty cool when you think about we're really in Min's perspective and that's just how she that's really does saying, see yeah. them so yeah. um yeah i uh there's not really anything i have uh to to expound upon that did you have anything on on that morgan did um, I mean, we rushed through it a little bit, but we did rush through it. That's fine. Um, there's not a ton going on except that it's just kind Oops. of like Egwene has a dream in book three as they're going down um, the river heading toward Tyr, where Min walks through a trap and springs it and doesn't know that she springs it. Um, so I think that when she's walking into the tower, she's the reason that all of these visions are starting. Um, and so maybe the reason that she's inundated with them is because she's kind of like the linchpin or the launching point um, because she's like the key in the puzzle um, because we know she's getting these visions. You're spoilers through the whole book. Um, <laughs> So we know that she's getting these visions because of the coup that's going to happen yeah. later on yeah. in the story. Mandy's going to get to the point later in the, let Mandy keep going in the story. <laughs> and I guess I'll just reflect. I had wondered what trap Min was doing. Like, I know exactly what you're talking mm -hmm. about. It was one of those things where I'm like, I know it's real because the green's dreams are real, but I have no idea what this is. So I mm -hmm. like that. I like that connection. And Exactly what you said. Maybe her presence is what set every you know set the trap in motion, which is fantastic. You know, I I think at this point I've read this book uh, over a dozen times, um, mm -hmm. and I'd like to think that in one of those rereads I I caught that 
But if I did, it's not in my memory. Like mm-hmm. you just kind of blew my mind, right? <laughs> I was like, oh shit, you're right. Men just yeah. kind of sprung it. Oh my god. <laughs> so so that's that brilliant. I loved it. Soon enough, uh, even though Phelan doubted that anyone would have time for our dear friend Min, a novice named Sarah comes down and brings Min to the Amerlin seat, just like that. So they walk through the halls, and Min continues to have readings of the people around her, of the warders. There's violence, more deaths, even servants. She sees signs of violence. And again, an Aes Sedai who's in chains and another with a collar around her neck, which makes Min cringe because Sianchin, which confirms RJ is bringing those assholes back. Um, they're not my favorites. So they reach the doors to the Amaranth chambers and a red gold haired man walks out, stares directly at Min and there's no stopping the recognition. It's Gawain. And he immediately is just begging for information about Elaine and Aguin. And Min even forgets herself. She basically has a mini panic attack as they had um, come to Tarvalon with Varen weeks ago. So she's like, no, they should have been here a long time ago. And then he reassures her and says, no, 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 no. They were here and now it's happened again. They're not here. So, and and he kind of catches himself. And even Nynaeve went with them <laughs> because he's literally focused on a queen. And then of course, out of brotherly obligation and sister. <sighs> yeah. uh, we do learn Gawain believes they're on a farm doing penance somewhere, even though the Amerlin would not give him a straight answer, which indicates an Amerlin can't lie. So they probably aren't on a farm doing penance. And I'm not sure if he put that together or not. Uh, Min notices dry blood on his face. Therefore, he's going to be involved in all that violence she's been reading on others. At long last, Min remembers Sarah is still with her and she's staring at Gawain with puppy love. So Min reassures him, young women are fine. And thinks to herself that they could brave a bear den and walk out with bear skin or a bear on a leash if instructed, but he doesn't need to hear that. I like that comparison too. Min is so funny. <laughs> yeah, Min's, Min's personality is great. I love her sense of humor. Um, but Gawain's still there still worrying about Elaine playing Aes Sedai and not wanting Andor to have another succession, which Min catches and realizes Gawain really does not know the extent of his sister's power because he's like, she's just playing Aes Sedai. And then I made a little note. Also, there's been so much strife and a lot of back history about the last succession. So I also hope this is not murky foreshadowing of a succession to come. Uh, uh, And Gawain keeps going on about his oath that he made at Elaine's birth, his bloodshed before hers. His life yep. given before hers. Min asks of his oath to a queen because she is cheeky. And he blushes and says that Elaine's companions are clearly important, even naive. And this is where Min quips, and I quote, My mother always told me to marry a poor liar and you would qualify. There we have. <laughs> uh, and she also says, someone else seems to have claimed to a queen. And we're back to the whole Gawain admitting, yep, Galad is heartsick over a queen. And we know that Gawain has no desire to step on Galad's whatever love life, I guess. Yeah. So they make plans to meet in the practice yard. And apparently Gawain still enjoys being pummeled by Hama. But of course, Galad is also still better than him. All these little notes that it's just reiterating what we already know, reiterating. Um, Then 
Min's reading of Galad switches a bit and also shows a heron marked blade. And this time she's uncertain if it is his or will cause harm to him. And she also sees the banner of Gawain's sigil, the white boar, but on a field of green rather than the red of Andor, both sword and banner faded with the blood. And I do not know what the green means at all. Is there another house that's green? That, am I missing something? Sorry. Read and find out. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean. All right. And then the Heronmark sword, do you have any idea what the Heronmark sword might be about? Rand kicking his ass. Okay. Or Galad, uh, Gawain, Orn's one. Orn's one? Yeah. Oh, I said Galad shows it. It's Gawain has a Heronmark blade, but yeah. um, I don't know. I would guess he'll earn it. It could be that good. I don't know. I mean, he's he talks about how uh, he beat Hamar uh, two times out of five, um, although Galad beat him three times out of five. The damn names slip me up every time. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, so so by that rationale, Gawain's not much. And, and we got this from Madden Book 3, too. Gawain is not far below Galad. Galad is superior, but not by... <laughs> Not by a huge margin. Um, and in all fairness, Gawain must be a bit younger, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's, yeah, older sibling syndrome. He's whatever. significantly younger. He's about seven or eight years younger. Oh, yeah. He can gain some weight and pummel him eventually. I will say uh, it's Gawain's blade. I don't know. Okay. Maybe it is Glod's blade. Maybe I was right. It was a Freudian slip. So as far as the sigil on a field of green rather than red it just tells me something switched like something and i hope it isn't more gaze and that dick gabriel or something switching stuff up but we'll find out yes i will read and find out okay okay <clears throat> finally gawain leaves although not before telling men you should wear dresses more often what a pig <laughs> <such a fuckhead. laughs> i know Sarah then tells Min, ooh, you guys know each other, but there's nothing Min can do about it now because Sarah's just going to go gossip. So what do you do? Yeah. Sarah finally remembers task at hand, delivers Min to the waiting Leanne, who's waiting uh, the Keeper of the Chronicles, who immediately quips, mm, you're tardy, and Sarah takes leave. Min makes a weak attempt to keep her cloak up and head bowed because Leanne does know her, but no dice. Leanne walks right over, moves her hood back, and immediately recognizes her. A little bit of surprise, a little bit more disdain. So, oops. Uh, Leanne agrees to tell the Amelin seat that Elmandretta is here, deducing that Amelin knows exactly who Min is. But Min is still a bit shocked because she sees under Leanne's face a screaming mask of Leanne as well. So more violence. That's terrifying because that's the Chronicle, the Keeper of the Chronicle is close to Amarillo's seat, also subjected to the violence to come. Okay. Yeah. I know. So many details. Oh my gosh, it just keeps going. Did you have any questions for me, Twitch? Oh, oh I actually do. I want to throw this out. Um she does think to herself, um, I can't remember if it's while she's talking to Gawain or after he leaves that. So oh. on your first read. Yeah. What did you think was going to happen? And did you think yeah, it was going to happen in this book? 
Uh, you know, I, I cannot say for certain what I thought was going to happen. I, I literally do not remember. Um, I doubt I thought it was white cloak so much as black Aja. Okay. Just because okay. I already knew about black Aja. Min does not. Did you ever, did you ever think that it might be the Sianchen? No. Okay. Not too far away. Okay. Although I have a comment about that somewhere later. Yeah. Right on. So. Uh, oh, yeah. So Min goes back and mentions the vision with the collar. Looks like that used by Sianchen. And the Amelin says she'll know in days by pigeon if it's they the reach Sianchen. land. Yep. Um, because it's a long ways for them to reach Tarvalon. And that's my note. I doubted she's considering the ways that Leandrin had used to get to the sea in less than 48 hours. So, ooh, scary. Could be Sianchen. I hate Sianchen. Sorry, I Morgan, if they're your favorite. No. No, who likes the Shantan? No, they fucking suck. <laughs> Do you know who likes the song? Or, or, I don't know if she still does, but she did at one point. Is Danny. Oh, Danny? Danny from... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't read or listened much further than that, but she does make comments about them, and I'm like, I disagree. <laughs> I think she, she appreciates that they're interesting and different, and that they bring a different thing. I, I don't believe she likes them as in, like, you know, they're friendly, and I want to invite them over for dinner. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Which is fair. That is fair. We just we okay. we the uh, wheel weaves is one of our you know one that we drop quite a bit because we enjoy. Oh them. yeah, I love that show. I think it's one of the best. They're so, so. good. So yeah. the Amberlynn reveals to Min that lo and behold, Black Aja are in the tower, so they might be the culprit of the violence to come. Then Min is super nervous about the revelation of Black Aja, and Amberlynn demands news of Rand because she hasn't heard about his whereabouts in months. So this is where I started questioning the timeline of everything in this book. Did we just kind of go backward in time a bit at the start of this book, possibly, compared to where I left off in the last book? Or is this still moving forward? This is probably about a month ahead. I think this is about the same place in time as it is in chapter two and in chapter two. two is about a month after the stone falls okay okay I, there it is i always assumed that it was yeah within uh within two weeks to a month that, if, that this is happening because um, it yeah it t would take men probably about three or four months to travel from the mountains to tarvalon and yeah okay. so that would make sense but so we can we can do a quick map check they, uh, the Moraine's party following Rand left. What do you say? Can you, I don't know if you guys can see that, but right around this area. Yeah, they go through Gelden and Altara. Yep. yep. So they're they further the south when they left. So she had a, so men had to make her way up this way. And they also traveled on boat quite a bit, the oh, Moraine's group. And well, I don't think Rand ever did, but, um, but so you can assume that she's having to go quite a bit further north, although it's about the same direction east or to the same amount of, you know, miles east. So, yeah, it, it's it's easy to say that it would take her about a month longer than it took them. Okay. There we have it. And it's about a month for Gowan to get or a month to six weeks because I figure it took the girls about two weeks to get from the tower down to tier. So yeah. about six weeks for Gowan to get real, real anxious about them being gone again. Yep. Yep. And uh, they were so they were in tier for about three or four days before they got captured, I think. So yeah. Yeah. So anyways. 
then says Rand is on his way to tear and so um then just kind of starts cursing out Moraine saying she's going to be hung in the sun to dry all furious of Moraine's change of plans and not prepping Rand enough before going to Kalindor but then Min gently corrects her that Rand was the one to leave in the middle of the night and that's why Moraine sent me here because you need to know that she and the others followed Rand. So Min points out that, hey, you know, he might already be over there in half Kalindor. And then Sue Ann points out, and he might already be dead. So there you have it. A world without cell phones is difficult. <laughs> Context dump about how prophecies work in which they're more important for the people of the world basically to recognize the dragon, not so much for the dragon to know what duties he's required to fulfill. Did I catch that right, Twitch? That's pretty accurate. Yeah. Do you want to read what the Amerlin said on the bottom of 32 about the thread snipped out of the pattern? I liked that one. So you do mean to control him. He said you'd try to use him, but this is the first I've heard you admit it. Um, you haven't done such a good job of it so far, you and Moraine. Swan's tiredness seemed to slide from her shoulders. She straightened and stood looking down at Min. You had best hope we can. Did you think we could just let him run about loose, headstrong and stubborn, untrained, unprepared, maybe going mad already? Do you think we could trust to the pattern, to his destiny, to keep him alive? Like some story? This isn't some story. He isn't some invincible hero. And if his thread is snipped out of the pattern, the wheel of time won't notice it's going, and the creator will produce no miracles to save us. If Moraine cannot reel his sails, he very well may get himself killed, and where are we then? I like that quote about if he snipped out of the pattern. But I said, I doubt it. I think the creator keeps this wheel moving and someone would rise up again if they don't rescue you out of it. I don't know. I kind of thought she's being a little dramatic there. Do you disagree? No. What do you, what do you think, Morgan? Um, I think that it's true that Rand can die. It's harder for him to die because being Taviran is plot armor and you know somebody asked RJ once if Taviran was basically the old tongue for Deus Ex Mahina and he said no but it basically is um but it's you know it's one of those things where it's sort of like if you're holding to the point that he's writing the story so that it will be as realistic as possible then it has to be one of those things where yeah Rand could technically die and then realistically the pattern would continue on, but if he's a big, important, and central thread at that point, you know, it's going to be unravelly, and, you know, it's going to be missing a big piece, and it's not going to go so well. So Now, I wonder um, if Ran would die, would the, would, would the pattern, like, would perhaps maybe two Taveran from the same village, would their pull on the tower, on the, on the, pattern all of a sudden become stronger so they could step in and uh you know kind of take over from where the where rant's thread left off or would they just be like 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 floating like uh, uh wires you know electric wires when they well when they i think I'd... in one of the dream sequences either parent or matt was threatened to, like take one out you're all out the whole pedestal the three-legged bar mm -hmm. thing well that is that was uh you know the father of lies well it's one of the reasons that. why ashamael was trying so hard to 
convince Perrin to ditch Rand in the last book. Yep. Um, and then also trying really hard to kill both Perrin and Matt because it's just sort of like, I think that Perrin and Matt, if Rand died and they came together, they would be able to, with an organized effort, hold their own against the shadow. They would not be able to win. So it's like a triangle. And if you cut one of them, it just becomes basically a line, right? It's just like there's no base on that. I don't know. I'm trying to think more metaphorically. Yeah, I don't know. I can't that. do geometry. So. <laughs> okay, so topics because geometry is not going to go well. But... Okay. Okay. So Moving Swan on. finishes her rant saying, the Dark One's prison is failing and he will touch the world again. It's only a matter of time. And Rand must face him in the last battle. Thus, that whole importance and why she's so upset about everything. Um, and, and then Swan naturally just calls Min out for being in love with the dragon. And so here's our little love story. Min tries to justify, no, no, I, I'm just shell shocked hearing this dark fun, but Swan has none of it. And then Min admits to her original viewing when she met Rand, where she saw three women, herself included. Although she does not know if he will ever love her in return, but she does love him. And apparently the faces of the other two women were blurry. Is that true? Did she, were they always blurry? Uh, they were in the beginning. She does know that one of them is Elaine, but she does not tell Swan that. That's what yeah. I thought. Yeah. So, no, and, and, and originally I'd assumed Elaine and Aguin, you know, because, but now I don't think Aguin's one of them. Well, pretty she much. Doesn't. Pretty much like, I mean, we don't get this really. I, I think we might get like some some mention of it, uh, you know, post happening. But um, uh, she pretty much knew right away when she met Elaine. Like the, the that face from her vision all of a sudden became unblurred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Elaine in book two said that when Min first met her, she yeah she tell she tells Egwene, you know, I don't know that she's always honest. She told me that I'd have to share my husband with two other women, and I'd never put up with that. So I, yeah, I couldn't remember exactly where it was, but I knew that we got some sort of reference that Min knew right away who it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and I just hope the third one isn't Lanfear because she's the only one I know obsessed with Rand right now, but <laughs> she still thinks of him as Luz. Land through the creepy cougar, yeah. <laughs> the creepy cougar, <laughs> love it. Yeah. Okay, so Min thinks she's ready to go change into her comfy clothes, but the Amaralyn begins a new plot, and we understand why. She trusts Gawain to remain quiet about seeing Min, and how Sara will conveniently be relocated to a farm for hard work. Or Sara. Suan determines <laughs> Min must stay at the White Tower. Her reading ability may be useful as an ally against Black Aja. And it's fact, she's no dark friend, making her the excellent spy. Great. Min is irate. Well, Does not want to be a dancing puppet or frog hopping at the Amerlin's orders, but the Amerlin cuts her off. Well, Min tries to get out of this by saying, people know my relationship with the girls and their relationship with with uh, Rand. They're, they're going to you know, they're going to figure this out. And she's like, that's why Elmendretta will be your name. And you're going to keep that hair and you're going to work with uh, Liana Sadai because she still that, remembers the art of powders and paints. <laughs> and there it is. The worst news of all, not the hair, not the name. It's makeup. Man 
has to wear makeup and be taught by Leanne. That is hilarious. Yeah. Um, and she'll have a backstory that she's caught in a love triangle with two men and she's claiming sanctuary in the White Tower as she decides which suitor she will choose, much like her namesake. So this is hilarious. Min is probably more freaked out than any of the accepted from our last book being caught up and locked in the stone. I genuinely think Min is more freaked out than them being bruised and beat up by Leandrin. Do you know what I mean? Well, I that's that's actually a really interesting uh, comparison. I think you're completely right because uh, in the moment with the three girls, all they were thinking of is how can we get out of here? And they didn't really have time to be panicked. They didn't really have time to 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 freak out. They 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 needed to figure out a way, and they had means, you know, through through telling telling Riyadh and all that. They had um, they were able to come up with a plan that made sense. So yeah, I, I think you're completely correct. Well, they were also afraid, but they were in a state of emotional solidarity. Swan is using emotional terrorism on men and weaponizing her feelings for Rand to basically blackmail her, which is total bullshit and makes me feel sorry for men. And as yeah. much as I like Swan's character, you know, I always feel like this is bullshit, you know, and Swan is, you know, <sighs> You know, a lot of the stuff that happens throughout the stories that make people so angry because so much um, is people being robbed of agency. And I think a lot of that is, you know, from RJ's time in, you know, Vietnam and in the military, because so much of being in the military is having no agency yeah. and having people be like, this is what is going to happen to you or what we're doing to you. And you can't say anything about it. So suck it up. Um, and he really makes use of that. Um, but it's just sort of like, it's one thing to be robbed of agency, but another to be completely emotionally blackmailed. Um, and the one thing about men is that it's like, I always a little disappointed that she puts up with it because in her shoes, I would have been like, Oh, absolutely. And then immediately slipped out the back door. Um, because it's just sort of like Swan believes in her own power to overawe so much, but it's like, and her, her idea that men would be able to fool people as she is, is, you know, it's stupid and you know, it's stupid because in the next paragraph you know, or the next page break, as you see, Elida's like, Oh, that's men. Yeah. You know, so yeah. And Leanne already knew it was meant, right. Mm -hmm. Like I like your empathy based ending for sure. And I, I do agree. It's almost, and this is men's flaw. Her love for Ram just blinds her to her independent womanhood where she would have just, like you said, walked out. So yeah. But that I mean, was emotional manipulation. But I, I, I wanted to point out that it's definitely not just one, you know, isolated to her being, you know, mentally and emotionally abusive. Um, no, it's I mean, just that Min seems particularly vulnerable. And I think part of it is that she can't channel. And part of it is the fact that she, because of her visions, is used to having no agency, oh, yeah. you know. And frankly, you know, I hate her vision about Rand, looking at Rand and being like, I'm going to fall in love with him, you know, because I just, I, I think it's, it sucks, you know, like people hate Elaine's feelings for Rand, but it's like, at least she just like had, you know, an emotionally impactful interaction with him where, you know, she selfishly was like, don't climb over the wall. And then she nearly got him like in prison and was like, oh shit. And felt really, you know, yeah. that was, that was impactful. And so 
her feelings for him were well a little bit shallow and childish at least based on something that was actually like realistic and believable yeah as opposed to you know i see this vision and i know i'm doomed to fall in love with you and there's nothing i can do about it which is you know less interesting yeah and so no i, I completely agree with that so and so just like morgan said perspective change to elida Sorry. No, that this is why I wanted you on for these chapters because I, I I knew you'd have some good insight that I wouldn't have even thought about. Okay, but back to Mandy. No, that was good. Sorry, and then I always just keep flowing on because otherwise we'll talk forever. <laughs> Perspective change to Elida, who is pissed. But I also think this is a normal emotional state for her. So. Worth noting, she's also waiting in her red fringe soul, probably the only Aes Sedi who continues to proclaim her Aja at all times and or is prideful. Elida's staring at the door to the ambulance chambers and pounces on the poor novice who exits the room. <laughs> Dear girl, bleeding like a frightened sheep at the fury in Elida's face. Elida demands her name, gets it. It's our friend Sarah. Shoes her off, recollecting the girl's just a daydreamer who's only going to remember Godwin's smile and that Sarah has no real talent with the power. So, probably accurate about Sarah only thinking about Gawain's smile. <sighs> Elida stalks off through the tower, ignoring everyone as she walks, and she's terrifying them and even running into a plump brown. Do you think that was Varen? No, uh, different? Okay. And then I was, uh, okay, Elida recalls there was another girl who'd entered Amarillo's chambers in a certain it was Min, and the last time Min was at the tower, she sure spent quite a bit of time with Suan and was close to Elaine, Nynaeve, and Egwene. Clearly, Elida is pissed because Elaine disappeared again. She's not had luck finding the so-called farm where these women are rumored to have penance. And here she thinks through the rumors are too purposeful and far away from actual words that the Amarillin probably used, so they've probably been twisted. We have a reminder that Elida can foretell sometimes, and her very first foretelling as an accepted, which, worth noting, she kept to herself, um, which tells me she was already conniving as an accepted. Yeah. Um, that foretelling was about the royal line of Andor, which would be key in defeating the Dark One at the last battle. However, Morghese demoted Elida after the Elaine disappearance, so Elida is pissed about not being at the side of Queen Morghese after all the work she did um, as soon as following the succession, right? That she sit by Morghese and all that throne stuff. I'm not sure if you wanted to read more on that or not, Twitch. Well, um, my question is, okay, so you know that in The Great Hunt, you learn that someone with the foretelling who had the foretelling of Rand being born on the slopes of Dragon Mount, she had the foretelling right away, and she basically keeled over dead from the shock of it. So foretelling, we know, can sometimes be like current telling. So Elida had a foretelling when she wasn't accepted and assumed it was going to be in the future future. We don't know um when elida wasn't accepted but elida strikes you know she's the kind of person who seems to assume she knows what everything is is about um she's real determined about her interpretation of things um so 
she's angry at her life choices because she made assumptions about things. So, so yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I completely agree with that. Um, I, I was actually going to ask Manny Cat essentially the exact same question. Do you think that Elida's foretelling was about Morgase and Elaine and the Tracans? You know, that would have been my guess is the royal line of Andor and only knowing from Andor. I only know Elaine, Gawain, and Galad, but they sure keep coming up a lot. Yeah. Is Galad part of Andor, technically? He's still considered Andor. Oh, very much He's a half and half. I mean, but his mother was uh, Tigraine, who I can't remember what – was she queen or was she about to be crowned queen? She was the daughter. Her mother was queen – and then when her mother died, um, uh, Morgase was in the White Tower, basically learning and studying. Um, and then she left the White Tower to go and put forth her claim to the throne. But there was like a two-year succession, basically. Okay. So did Tigraine disappear before or after her mother? I, I, I honestly cannot remember this. Before. 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 That's why there was okay. an issue was there was no daughter heir. Okay. Okay. And that's why Galad is that much older, too, right? Because we mm-hmm. know Green's disappearance was yeah. years. Okay, get it. I just think seven-year-old Galad, how sad. Yeah. <laughs> Poor kid. And, and that's why Gowan is concerned about Elaine's disappearance, because the succession was not good for Andor, um, and having the having the lion throne have to pass to a different house, you know, isn't necessarily good. It's, it's nice to have smooth lines of succession. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. This fits a little better now. Okay. Uh, Elaine's still pissed. Remember she's fuming at the connection of all the Emin fielders in particular, that strange young man, Randall floor. And then she remembers their chance meeting with and she saw Rand and was it considered a foretelling when she they were in the um in Morgaze's chamber or whatever? She straight up said, uh, this I foretell. And she okay. I can't remember the exact words, but she she said how she predicted like there was gonna be a world of chaos. And then she leaned in closer to Rand and just for his ears alone said, and you're the center of it, or or something to that extent. This man stands at the heart of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and here it's it's definitely um, re-emphasize about the chaos, division, and strife she saw around him. She's very aware he's severe in as well. Um, and also, it just keeps going on. She also remembers there's two other Tavirin men from that same village. How coincidental all three of them were born around the same time. So she's really aware. There's something fishy. She's really connecting all this stuff. And Elida certain Suan is in on the conspiracy because she does remember Suan's fortuitous trip to Shinar and happened to meet all three of these Taviran men. Um, then she festers on Moraine Damadred's connection to Rand and pause. Is Moraine related to Barthanes? Yeah, he's her first cousin once removed. Okay. Ish. I just thought that was funny. I've never connected Moraine's last name to Marthane's till the read through. Not that it's important because Moraine probably cast aside all her relatives as soon as she was nice to die. Well, this is this is the first time you've heard her 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 last name. 
Okay, and, I wasn't sure. And I don't think there's a lot of you know, I, there's not a lot of dwelling on it uh, through this book either. I don't believe it's, we see it when she has that conversation with Tom in the stone. That's right. That's right. Um, and that's right. Okay. That's the that's that's right. You're you're completely right. I knew that. And they're like threatening each other, or not threatening each other, but he's like, I know a lot about you. Yeah, I know yeah. that you're. That's in yeah. What I just three, never put that together before. Three chapters, I think. So. Yeah, well, it's a few <laughs> chapters. It's longer than that, I think, because it's after the stone stands. Okay. So Elida also recollects that Moraine and Sulan were very close as novices because Elida was an accepted over them. And Elida also believes them to possibly have been plotting since they parted ways as friends, which apparently occurred when they were raised as full Aes Sedai. Um, I, Elida's smart, but the, because, and, and just, it does go on, Elida's noting, that would have been Rand's whole life. Is this true? She's not too confident, but I'm just thinking, well, you're smart. You're good with details, lady. Um, and I don't know if that's incredible or just how power hungry she is or something, and clearly mad that she is not Amarlin seat, her own fault for following the throne of Pandor, I suppose. Elida also determines in her head, she's just thinking all this, she will take care of this Randall Thor fella, and I'm pretty sure she means kill. Um, but at the same time, she's unaware he can channel because she's still questioning. She's like, no, they wouldn't do all this if he could channel. But she has that thought, though. She right? does have the thought. Um, but kind of disregards it like no, like everyone else does. Ooh, no, the Emerald Seat wouldn't it, do anything. Not like not even it. Swan Sanchi, not even that despicable woman would would uh, you know sink that low, right? And all this, Elida's just insistent she will keep the House of Andor together, and really fearing the reality, the Dark One will be loose someday. Um, and I just made a note, like, so she couldn't foretell that. Rand was a dragon. Cool. No. Great power, Elida. <laughs> she's I, I think she's so blinded by ambition that uh, she just assumes that what she thinks, like her interpretation is always the correct interpretation. Yeah. Um and, and and I think that only having the talent the talent of foretelling, which is very rare, just makes her that more arrogant that she knows all and so and, and that's exactly what you were saying a little bit earlier, Morgan. I'm just repeating you in a less yeah. eloquent way. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah. Yeah. She thinks foretell not... oh sorry. Oh, you go. Oh, the foretelling also means that she can interpret her foretellings, you know, and that's not, you know, the talent does not necessarily come with interpretation as well. I've always assumed that, and uh, Morgan, you can correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I've always assumed that all of the prophecies pretty much have been written by foretellers. Yeah, that's my assumption. Yeah, that would, I mean, that makes sense, right? And so... Mm -hmm. Um, and we just got it from Swan Sanche that a prophecy is kind of just like a guideline to prepare people. It's not a, it's not a map. 
you know, it doesn't, it's, we have no idea how it's going to fall or if it, or if what happens has like even sounds similar to what the prophecy says, you know? So, um, that's, it's, it's naive, arrogantly naive of. Elida? Elida would, she's naive thinking that she can interpret her own foretellings or her own Mm -hmm. prophecies essentially. Right. So I am full of these just nonsensical ramblings that just get me. To no, you're one hundred percent okay. <laughs> you're the glee man. You just make it real poetic. Splash <laughs> your like cloak. I I I don't have like skills in like academics, but I'm good at, at rhyming things to make a story. <laughs> but I had never thought about the foretelling and being able to actually interpret it. I n- never really critically thought about it. So you just uh, assume that she was correct in thinking that the royal and the royal line of Andor meant the Tracans. Uh, Tracans meaning Elaine, Morgan's okay. Elaine. Sorry, I, I'm a first name person. Okay. <laughs> okay. But clearly, I'm struggling with that. I, yeah, I don't know. I still haven't thought too critically of it because I'm actually not that critical of a reader most of the time. That's okay. I read the first book and didn't realize Rand was the dragon reborn the whole time I read it. So, even anyone, he's just a strong farm boy. I I, I remember I remember reading the first book and um, assuming that it wasn't going to be either Rand or Perrin because we hadn't had a POV for Matt and it didn't make sense to me. But I I remember going into the Great Hunt not. Not 100% on Rand's train. like. No, I was reading the first book, and I was such a dumbass, I didn't even realize why they were being chased. I, was okay. just, <laughs> I completely forgot about what happened in the beginning. <laughs> I was just, I was basically as, like, ignorant and naive as Rand. Like, I was that deep into his POV. So. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. I just think it's beautiful. I'm like, that's how I usually read books. I'm like, I just want to enjoy. And then when it's a surprise, I feel even more surprised. But okay, we're gonna wrap up Elida's perspective. Yeah. She keeps wondering about the Amaranth seat not being fit, and then she hears a voice asking, "Have you no friends all alone out here?" And it's all the Aron from the Whites. Little context dump: Whites tend to stand with blue. They are cool and full of logic. Elida asks all the Aron to walk together, and we don't find out exactly what's said. But one must assume some slander and gossip against Suan, as we hear Albion say, you have no proof of anything improper. But Elida is just pleased as a bird-eating cat, just saying, not yet. And is clearly ready to keep planting these seeds against, like, division, basically. So all this to say, my big question is still, is Elida Black Aja and this is the scene that has made me think no, because it didn't, she never brought, brings up specifics of Black Aja. And my only thought was, unless she's the other Aes Sedai at the Dark Friends social and just has a whole different task than Leandrin did. In which case, oh crap. Well, I mean, we just, we just spent a few pages in her head and she's constantly thinking of how they need to, you know, Fight on the light, fight against the dark, right? Um, so it, I think it's a good assumption uh, to assume that no, she's not a, a black Aja. She's just kind of an ass. 
But it's interesting because she sees a member of the white Aja and she's like, you know, yeah, typically they side against the red because it's like, yeah, whites are logical and reds are generally intractable and passion driven um, and very rules oriented. Whereas like whites are more concerned with logic and reason rather than rules. Um, but Elida has a lot of logical ideas about this doesn't seem right. And here are all my reasons why. And so it's sort of like, here's a powerful ally of someone that I can work with to reason all this out. And so that kind of makes them an interesting pair because it's sort of like, you don't get the impression that they like each other or that, yeah, they're, they're not friends. They're, you know, not even really exactly allies, but like there's this potential for here is this person I can bounce ideas off. And it's almost best that, you know, we're traditionally oppositional anyway, because, you know. Yeah, because that's that's the way to get to the best conclusion. If right, mm-hmm. if you if you if you have a discussion with somebody who has a complete opposite like way of thinking or or background, mm-hmm. it it that's the way we all come together, anyways. Right? Getting yeah. a little bit more topical, right? Um, if people would just fucking sit down and talk to each other. <laughs> um, but anyways. Um, uh- and I would also say that just makes me think of where I had a really unhealthy boss, but how you do, you suddenly find allies and other people when you start talking through that logic and reasoning of, mm-hmm. Hey, did you hear this? This was not healthy, you know? So that's interesting. And I guess Suan would kind of sort of be their boss. Oh, very much so. But guess what? Oh, yeah. Perspective change to Twitch's favorite character, Dane Warnhold. <laughs> Dane is still angry about his father's death. He's just chillaxing in Terrence Ferry with a plethora of white cloaks. Our buddy Jared Byar is out talking to town folks. And only Byar knows why Bornhold was so excited to head to the hinterlands of Andor under orders of Emin Balda. There's that dude again. Um, and Bornhold named Byar his second. And obviously Byar knows about all this, his vengeance for his father. Back to Oman's head. Child Ivan reports... That the hundred men, which by the way, what's a hundred man? Someone in charge of a hundred men. That's creative. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't catch it. All right. So the hundred men, Farron, narked on Lord Ordeeth for talking to three tinkers that are no longer accounted for, much to Bornhold's chagrin. And this is fun. I like this. Like, we dislike, I guess, as in general, uh, Twitch and I dislike Bornhold. He's Dane, that is. Mm -hmm. But then Ordeeth just makes even Bornhold cringe, so it's kind of fun to watch the asshole cringe because mm-hmm. that's how bad Ordeeth is. I I want to I want to jump in really fast and just say that there are characters in the Wheel of Time in a fourteen book series with twenty seven hundred plus characters in it. There are characters you you start out hating and learn to appreciate, if not love. Further on, there are characters you start you start out loving and end up not appreciating or, or hating by the end. You know, so um, I I will say I enjoy um, this area of Dane Bornhall because we actually start getting, like you said, compassion. We actually start getting stuff that we got from his father, right? Like his Some father. Stuff. His father didn't like just murdering people just to murder people or or labeling dark friends just because you, you had a bad day and you want to, you know, hang somebody as a d- 
you know. So are they zealots? Yeah. Are they absolutely horrible people? <sighs> you know, not everything's black and white on that, but. But anyways, yeah, so apparently there's all these tinkers that they got caught up with, or this is unfortunate. And it also, I don't know. I jump back to book one. Who is, who is the tinker in book one? The man. Rain. Rain and Isla. Rain. 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 I'm thinking of yep. him and how it was like, we just move when we're ready to move. And I'm like, man, that's an unfortunate move, but probably important because worst part of the world of... Uh, Wheel of Time series so far, there is a pile of dead mastiffs, which is all born halt because he's a dick and did not want to take a chance that the peaceful folk folk would quit being peaceful, even though the dogs were just for show. So no, yeah. not happy about that one. Nope, that's pretty horrible. <sighs> Moving on. Bornhold is not the fan of Hook-Nosed Ordeus, who we also know as Padon Fane. Bornhold confronts Ordeus about the three missing tinkers. And it's an interesting exchange. I'm pretty brief about it, but it appears Ordeus had originally wanted to slaughter all of the tinkers because they were of no use. But yes, Bornhold said no. Um, Ordeus is really not direct with Bornhold about the three missing tinkers just that he wanted to ask more questions you never know what people have to say until you ask I didn't hurt them that badly stuff like that and of course it seems like his asking includes some form of torture so anyway Ordeus did not watch closely apparently those three ditched then we get the context of Bornhold's current level of discomfort because first of all, they're in Andor without the queen's permission or knowledge. There's a half legion of white cloaks. Um, Bornhold was ordered to meet Ordeus by Lord Captain Commander Pedrin Nile. And there's kind of heavy uncertainty of why Ordeus and his surly dirty 50 soldiers are with Bornhold right now. And it's also even more unclear who is following whose orders. So. Bornhold doesn't like this gray area, so he knows something's fishy. But he's a man of honor, right? So he's going to do what his orders are. And some sort of honor, I guess. Ordeus teases Bornhold for being new at this leadership thing. Bornhold then insists the ferry is the only way into Andor, but thinks to himself that there must be other ways. Ordeus comments about this podunk Emmonsfield place that hasn't even paid taxes to Andor in generations. Oh my gosh, is he American? Why taxes? Bornhold tells Ordeus there will be as much glory here as Tarvalon, but Ordeus associates a little bit and he's all like, there are things in Tarvalon that I want too. That's kind of creepy, right? Yeah. Um, Bornhold's probably, you know. Oh, and it does come up. Bornhold's pretty sure he's with a madman. And I'm like, it does. This guy, and he keeps noticing his accent changing, which is also, it's kind of funny too. Adon Fane trying to put on a show of I'm some proper captain and just going back to his Lagardian accent. Uh, I'm just going to throw this out really fast because I, I have to. Um, you met him when we did the the um, podcast dating show on the Wheel of Time, Gus from Wheel Takes. In their podcast, he does accents for every character. I don't know how he does it. I'm so impressed. But his it's accent, his his accent for Pat and Fane, and then he switches it for Ordeath. It's it's absolutely brilliant. Oh, a little bit of Gollum and uh, 
yeah one one day you definitely need to listen to some of the episodes with uh of wheel takes with him doing those accents because it's it's brilliant right that's, that's all i hear now that's all i hear when i when i read pat and fane i just hear uh, gus's accent for him and like <laughs> as far as empathy i mean this whole dissociative identity disorder is it pat on fane is it ordeus character is it like more death coming out you know like who knows maybe it's not just a show it's just literally was taken over in his mind so Bayar comes over giving reassurance i put the fear of dark friends into these terran fairy folks and they just say the only dark friends are further south um which i imagine i didn't look at the map twitch but is that where emmons field is south of terran fairy yes anyway apparently it's time to go across the river ordeus mutters about flogging and playing and some sort of promise he's just muttering to himself and that's when bornhold recognizes that Niall has tied him to a madman, but he also is motivated to take vengeance on this Perrin Ibarra in order to avenge his father. So there you have it. Also, noteworthy, Egwene had had dreams of White Cloaks in Emmonsfield. Here it's coming, right? Yep. There's that little piece. Uh, any other thoughts from you guys about the Bornhold Ordeus? Poor, poor Tinker Dogs. Um, well, I mean, there's not a lot that would make me feel sorry for Bornhall, but having to deal with Pat and Fane, you know. Right. It's it's one of those things like, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm cutting you off. Oh, yeah. And and nobody wants to be in a management position and have somebody who, you know, is not only like weird and confusing and a little bit crazy, like undermining your authority at the same time, because just that's just a giant headache in all kinds of ways. So... Yeah, you know, it, it just feels like it's a nightmare in all kinds of ways, and yeah. Well, and I think that he recognizes that this man is is dangerous. Like this is this is a dangerous man, and he doesn't want him around because he doesn't know if the next person that he decides he needs to get take care of is Bornhold, right? Like, like uh, I mean, like I said earlier, there are characters you hated at the beginning and like. Later, there are characters that you don't change. Right ha- right now, Bornhold's a little easier to like because he's dealing with this absolute, like, just pile of a man, right? I'll say, though, first read through, I was stuck on the dead pile of dogs. Oh, yeah. Okay. Second read through, you know, knowing what I'm going to know by the end of this book, it is like Ordeaf is something else. So, okay. Ready right. for a perspective change? Yeah, let's do it. Hi, Lady Seroth. So, um, noteworthy, I totally forgot about her being in this book, and I just read it less than a year ago. So she was the chick who accepted Iguida Nynaeve's gifts from Leandrin and Tomon's head, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, shit. Sorry. No, then I'm trying to figure out, do you think she was in cahoots at the Dark Friends social, or is that just coincidental? That. Don't well, think she was at the Dark Front Social. We, okay. we know that she at least knows of Leandrin and they both serve the great Lord of the Dark. Right? Um, so I, I I don't know. I don't know. Like the man who calls himself Boards wouldn't wouldn't have been able to pick out somebody who there was there was one person that was all clothed in black that he couldn't discern any 
distinction with blue of fingernail tips. Just kidding. <laughs> Did the, okay. So uh, here's the context for Saras. She's looking at Kantoran Harbor on the Aris Ocean. She's surrounded by all her servants and their sheer robes. And we learn it's just sheer because she thinks they're aesthetically beautiful. <laughs> just fabulous. This is who Sarath is. It's all about beauty. Um, there's also six Death Watch guards. That's a good band name. Death Watch. There we go. We're always coming up with new band names. And we learn they serve only the Empress and those who she chooses. And they will kill or die with fervor. And so apparently the Empress has approved Sarath to utilize these fellas. Sarath is staring at ships in the harbor. So apparently, if I understood this correctly, you might have to correct me. She's taken hold of Athenmier or sea folk, islands and ships and, you know, people of these islands. And she did use a domain to prove this point, um, blowing apart one of their ships, I guess. And apparently no one else knows about this yet. And she's trying to keep it a secret from the other sea folk and mainlanders. Did I capture that correctly? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that's, I think that's exactly what she didn't like. Um, I can't remember what the capital of Tremulking is. We have it on the map as just like an Island, but it's a, it's a, it's a big Island. So yeah. Does it specify that Cantorn Harbor is in Tremolking? I was never able to figure that out. Not in this chapter, I don't think, but it's on the Arth Ocean. Is everything on the Arth Ocean? I mean, the Arth Ocean, yeah, they, as far as I know, they only, well, they have, yeah, they only have the one ocean, right? Um, They have the Sea of Storms and the Arth Ocean. Okay, so the Sea of Storms is to the south? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so yeah, I would assume that it's, uh, I'm looking at the map right now. I'm, I, it's one really big, uh, island that almost looks like a claw with three tiny islands, right? Like in the, like just outside the Harbor. Um, so Cantorin could be one of those smaller islands. Okay. Okay. So mini context dump. No one questions Sarath's ability to command the Hyaline, also forerunners, and I can't remember all these at all in my head, but um, knowing that the Empress wants to achieve Corin or the return, and what was the third one? There was a third one. Forerunners return. Um, something. The Hyaline? Uh, Hy the Hylene are the forerunners and the Corinna is the return. I thought there was a third. Everything seems a triad. Anyway, this is all Siamchen stuff, so I shouldn't memorize it anyway. Um, <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. So Sarath is focused. Oh, those who come before. Who are those? What the fuck are those called? Oh, they're the people from the past. Is that who? No, 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 no. Was, wasn't wasn't that the Karen? The 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 the. the... Oh, maybe the maybe the Hylene. Yeah, maybe that is the Hylene. Is either the forerunners or those who come before, think, which would make sense. Yeah, I okay. think the Hylene is the forerunners. The Karen is the return, and I think that there's like an all-encompassing name, which I can't remember. Oh. That like kind of like lumps both of them into the same thing, like like basically like, and then we settle, right? And then we call. <laughs> So again, he's pounding all this in our heads because apparently it's important, even though I don't want to see the Siamchen again. <laughs> so Seraph is focused on just, it's this 
she's having this inner dialogue. She doesn't want to have to apologize to the Empress. And we really don't know why at first. She's really fearful, actually, more of humiliation that the Empress wouldn't just kill her. She'd have to keep living while everyone knows her degradation. And yeah. and it does kind of flow into she needs to take care of the man calling himself a dragon. Um, so it sounds like it's about making sure forerunners do their thing and Rand doesn't interrupt it. So um, Seraph enters the house. She claims from the former Seafolk governor of Cantorin, which I don't know if he's alive anymore. Kind of makes me sad. Uh, this may or may not be important, but I thought it interesting. She loves animals. And if she did have Instagram, she'd have one for her send to Jory, which is a pony-sized cat. And she'd also have a different Instagram for her Black Mountain Eagle with its seven-foot wingspan. And I don't know why, but it's considered vulgar that she has screens with prints of an- of these two animals on them. But why is that vulgar? I think it's pretty. That's her decorations in the house. It's vulgar. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I would just Maybe be making it's assumption. like the Shanchen, you know, high blood version of like decorating your house with tapestries with mandalas on it or something. Yeah. Rather than something more understated and tasteful. I don't know. So that well, no, that's what I was thinking. Is like her having these. Is that overstepping her, her rank? That would or, make sense. I think vulgar. She just means more in a sense of like a really tacky and considered in bad taste. Okay. And vulgar, almost for the sense of someone of her rank and station, it's just considered really so like so that she's she's she should be above this. Is basically yeah. What you're saying. Okay. Yeah, and it's like. This is helpful because I do think this whole scene, we're getting into Sarath's head, and that was part of it. She seems very about aesthetics. So this must be one of her, like, weaknesses. She loves mm-hmm. her animals. And I did want to mention them because did we see them? Were they the ones um, kind of helping patrol in Toman's head? Remember, there are people on cats the size of horses. Those were working animals. Um, so you had, like, the Grom and the cats the... and stuff. Yeah. Um, and they then never there was get... like a bird, like weren't they riding a bird in the mm-hmm. air? Yeah. So I wasn't sure if it was that black mountain eagle, although seven foot wingspan won't cut it. Humans are pretty heavy. No. Yeah. That, I mean, most humans are seven, like not seven, but like five and a half, six feet tall. So, yeah. um, so okay. Well, let's keep learning who else is around Sarath. There's three women kneeling in front of her, I believe. Two are Sudam bowing. Um, including the surly Alwyn. And Seraph is just pretty unhappy because this is the first soldam that was raised to Sojin, which is the name for hereditary upper servants of the blood. These are the people with half braids and half shaven heads. Um, Turok had one that I'm pretty sure Fane killed. Yep. And, but this has happened because apparently Alwyn knows too much. Again, what does she know? I, yeah, we'll figure that out eventually. Um, hold on. Hold on. What do you know about the Sianchen yeah. that the Sianchen don't know? What do uh, you think she knows? God, you're making me think too critically. No, I, what would Alwyn know? Uh, she might know about all Turok's blunders per se, but it's the whole Ram proclaiming dragon, right? The fight. Where, where did you see Alwyn? I can't remember. You saw her while she was waiting for the uh, way gate to open up. And everybody came out, and then Sirith had a conversation with um, Leandrin about our master, 
And oh, and Alwyn, Alwyn was the Soldam. Alwyn was the Soldam who didn't get a Demani because Nynaeve got away, and, and she was really pouty about it. Wow, I totally forgot about Alwyn. But now that you say it, yeah, she was pissed. So she's probably still pissed. Because she was supposed to get a powerful Nynaeve. Yeah, but she had plenty of ears to listen to, so she's aware of some secrets. And, yeah, Surath is saying, you know, only three deaths can hold it more tightly because Surath is uh, aware of a secret. All right, so diving on, we're almost to the end. Hold on, guys. Surath now looks to the third woman. It's a domain, and sad but true, it's our friend Pura. Um. You remember who Pura was the one who reached out to Egwene, right? And was like, remember my name. Guys, I forgot her name. Rima Galfrey. Okay. Of the yellow? Mm-hmm. All right, at least I got yellow. Oh, it's so sad. Um, Sarath is demanding to know, how does the White Tower control the false dragon? Well, Pura's just like, I don't know. But then here's her soul on Tiza, clearly wanting to punish her for not knowing. Um, and Sarath is aware, I said, I can't lie. She is aware of that. So she doesn't want her punished quite yet. Cause then she'll have to recover, which tells you the length and extent to which they are punished at one point. I'm really glossing over a lot. Feel free to jump in with extra details, but Pura reaches out to touch Sarath as she begs for mercy. Cause she does not know, but Sarath abhors Aes Sedai and can barely say the name without gagging. So she backs away, and then she's just ticked because she had to back away, all because of this domain, and now Sarath really needs to go shower. And this just turns into Tiza being horrified because she was linked to her domain and a lot, like, you know, more or less allowed her to do such a thing. And Alwyn then takes leave to tell Tiza, you go back, you punish your domain, Oh, and you better go tell Sorella that you're acting like a newbie with this whole Adam thing. So, you know, rank, rank, rank. All right. So Seraph continues thinking through her plot to help the Forerunners complete their task in preparation for the return, wishing she had more domain to fish out the truth. Um, so again, that's a shout back. She was supposed to have Nynaeve and a queen, right? Yep. And, you know, the whole Tarak debacle wasn't supposed to happen probably, but... She wonders to herself, does the Empress know about Falm or Tarak's disaster? She, Sarath knows that the Empress does not know everything. And there is one thing Sarath will not entrust to a messenger, but only her own lips to the Empress's ears. Um, I don't, am I supposed to know that? Did I miss something? Or is this one of those big secrets? It's the dark one's coming. Is that it's the well, well, no. So, so I'm going to ask you again, but kind of in a different context. Um, what do you know about the Cianchin that the Cianchin? I got don't it. Oh, Soldom can channel. I know that. I don't know if that's exactly what you're thinking, but I don't. I, I, I truly, honestly, don't remember. But I'm just. I just wanted to make sure I, I asked you, like, what do you know that the Cianchin don't and Because <laughs> I probably knew it and already forgot it. So, therein. 
I'll just finish out this chapter strong. Sarath thinks that this is where she thinks through only four people know the secret and two of them will not talk of their own volition. And that's where she just mutters only three dead to keep the secret more tightly. But she talked out loud and Alwyn just answers and you need all three alive. Um, Sarath does her finger dismissal to Alwyn and observes Alwyn's reluctance to leave. But Alwyn does leave. And this Sarath again thinks Alwyn is overstepping herself. She's really embracing this whole hereditary blood thing. A um, little bit more reflection on Sarath's part that perhaps she could be adopted into the Empress's family one day for the honor of leading the Forerunners. Also the possibility of capturing the dragon, but ends the scene think thinking, and I thought this was great, but if, when, I take him. Do I give him to the Empress? That is the question. And the plot thickens. Like, who is this lady working for? She's all about the Empress. She's all pissed at Alwyn for overstepping. Then she's about to overstep, right? Like, she's, yeah. Anyway, so my biggest reflection was just what a hierarchy. It's really setting it up and the importance of the secret. Then when I finally figure out the secret, I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's right. The but that's it. The are a very complicated uh, culture. So, so Sarath is considered Sianchen or like above Sianchen? What's. No, the Shanchen are just a people. They're an empire and she is, you know, Shanchen high blood. So, yeah. So, the, the hierarchy is. Uh... Empress? Court of the Nine Moons, that keeps coming up, and I know it'll but, come up again. But it's, but it's based on, they keep talking about blood. Oh, yeah. And they all oh. they talk about how they're the descendants of, of Arthur Hawkwing Pendrag. Um, so they, uh, you can promote people to the blood who aren't necessarily, necessarily direct descendants, because who knows who is a direct descendant at this point, but that's that's what it is but then they've got this whole other hierarchy within the slaves right the indentured um which is super fucked up <laughs> I, I i i don't i still don't really understand all the difference you know okay yeah they have hereditary a lot of their stuff is hereditary so if you're a slave you know your kids are going to be slaves, but you also can be raised out of it. And then it's just kind of like, so yeah, I don't know. They don't make any sense, but make it so gin. That's almost like their way of like making you less than a slave, but still like, like, like giving you power over not only slaves, but because so gin there, there are, there are people of the low blood who will defer to so, so gin are slaves though. That's yeah. So yeah. it's like I don't know. Nothing makes sense. Yeah, there's slaves who can give orders to high-ranking people because you know, and all the Death Watch guards are slaves, um, but they're you know big scary slaves that everybody is afraid of, and it's just yeah, everything is very weird and convoluted. Yeah, um, and depending yeah. on the type of slave you are, you're a very honored person as opposed to you know if you're the somebody in a sheer robe kneeling against the wall not so much and yeah yeah well and then if you're a slave when your master dies you must stab yourself like it's the sanction are very complicated and 
fucked up culture. Maybe I'll grow to like them. Is that what you're saying? He makes them complicated because there's a lot of good to them in certain ways, but it's just sort of like there are a lot of things that can be good or efficient, and that doesn't mean that the harm that they do makes the good worthwhile. Can I, and I might edit this, um, make a comparison to our own history of slavery. Um, I, I imagine that there were people, owners, slave owners, who thought that they were helping the people that they enslaved because they were too ignorant to take care of themselves. And so I imagine that that could be like, uh, um, as a parallel to how the how the Cianchian look at it, because when you say, you know, they they do a lot of good, um, is that just in their own minds that they're 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 taking care of these people? They just assume can't take care of themselves. They 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 think that women who channel are. Uh, less than dogs, right? Have to be like they're feral cats or, or something like that. Um, so they're protecting them from themselves. And I'm sure, I mean, I, I'm i not a historian on the, you know, uh, Civil War or, or, or anything like that, but I, I have to imagine that that was in a lot of those slave owners' minds. They were taking care of these people that were basically like animals in their mind. I'm not saying the perspective is okay and I'm not, you know, excusing it in any way so that's why i said i might edit this out but but that's kind of how i've kind of always looked at it you know i I feel like a better comparison is like nazi germany where there was a lot of stuff in nazi germany like the trains ran on time and everything was incredibly efficient and provided that you were a type of citizen that was a person who experienced privilege in that society you know things worked very well there and you know it was a good place to live if you were a type of person who was privileged you know and if you weren't then it wasn't and i think that that's kind of the way that um that the shanchen work is that you know they are efficient and you know their structure is good they have great you know bureaucracy and you know that they function well and if you have privilege then you know it's great and if you don't then it's horrible yeah Okay. No, I, I, I also agree with that comparison. They're both very sensitive topics, and I, I, I tread very lightly. Well, I've honestly had a really uh, interesting conversation that's kind of opened my eyes a little bit because, um, you know, a lot of people have been struggling with this whole thing, and I think it has to do a lot with the fact that, you know, we, especially if we're older, um, I, I'm not sure how old, how old you are, Twitch, but I'm almost 44, um, and it's just. I turned 43 in three days. Okay. So, yeah. And it's just kind of like, you know, we come from a period of time where it's like we have, you know, done things or experienced a culture or said things that are, you know, considered, you know, really terribly wrong, you know. And so we feel very self-conscious and uncomfortable because we fear judgment. Um, We feel we fear judgment from that because, you know, we don't we're not bad people and we don't want people to think that we're bad people. Um, and so there was, and come on kitty, I'm trying to like wax intelligent here. Um, 
so uh, we were having a conversation about it. I think we we're doing uh, tangents of chaos and um, Jess from the Amarillo study was talking about how it's not about judgment. You know, you just look at it and you're like, you know, if, if you're kind, if your attempt to be decent, if it's all of that, it's not that you're a bad person. It's just that you look at what was done there and you acknowledge that was wrong. Yeah. And if you're acknowledging the wrongness and that, you know, what was wrong there was wrong and whoever was doing it was wrong to do it, then it yeah. isn't necessarily that you're judging them that they were a terrible person. And so, and that makes it easier to look back and, you know, cringe at some of the things that, you know, I said in the nineties when, you know, I thought I was being a good, well-meaning liberal white person. And now yeah. I look back and I was like, holy shit, that was really racist. And I didn't even oh, realize. Yeah. And, you know, or, or the assumption that, you know, if you're being inclusive because you're like, oh, you can sit at our table rather than being like, oh, no, let's make our table smaller so your table can be here too, which is the proper way to be inclusive or all of that kind of stuff. And so being able to tell myself or be easy on myself and, you know, not judge that person, but just know that was wrong. And now we don't do that anymore. And this yeah. is how we learn to be better. Well, in the culture, I mean, like, like it was, it was culturally... ambiguous is best you know back in the 90s um and so no i i i completely agree with you um and that's very it's very uncomfortable for me to talk about it as as we've discussed and i'm I'm pretty sure we've talked about it on the podcast i have a seven-year-old who recently came out as Mm non-binary and um i was like thinking back on my life and in the 90s at least for me and where i grew up i that wasn't it wasn't a thing at least in my in my world right mm-hmm. like i know it was a thing but it wasn't a thing in my world it wasn't something like uh i didn't really uh become aware of like homosexuality until like sixth seventh grade um uh, i mean and i lived in big city but in a very sheltered religious area so it it it's i i, I try and tread very lightly when we, we, when we get into these discussions that are so sensitive um that, that are from our our history and i completely agree with you um the whole point of me thinking like who would have I known back in high school or or could have it been me as well to identify as non-binary if that was a term that we knew, you know? And I think that, and that's just how culture, um, I, I, that might be very ignorant of me to say, and I apologize if it was, but. It's, it's fine, yeah. It's like, you know, we are, we're trying to be sensitive. You know, I am grateful nearly every day that social media did not exist when I was in high school because, you know, the things that I would have said and did as a melodramatic teenager, you know, that I could never get away from now. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, I give kids a break. And it's, it's one of the reasons why, you know, I'm very kind to like the the characters in this book even though you know some of them are cringy you know it's the reason i'm fond of elaine i'm like yeah elaine is immature and naive and kind of a shit but you know she's the kind of person who in 10 years time will grow into someone who's you know an actually really you know decent and reasonable person you know it's just kind of like all of that kind of stuff of like you know nobody's really you know the person that i was at like 18 or 19 years old not so great you know it's just like not so great and yeah so i just 
No, I, I, I hear you completely. But um, but yeah, so that's uh, that brings us to our fuck Mary kills. You know, oh yeah, I totally have my fuck Mary kill right here. I did perfect. my homework. Perfect. Um, well, I'll let you go ahead and go go first. Oh, know. okay. Well, I'll totally throw a pity fuck Gowan's way. It might like you know get his get his mind uh, out of worrying about his sister for at least you know a little while. Um, and uh, I'll marry. Uh, Liana, because she's like really smart and she's got her, you know, mind all focused on everything and she's totally no nonsense. And, you know, I'm going to kill all the white cloaks because you don't kill people's dogs. That's not cool. There you go. That's, that's, I'm okay with it. All right. <laughs> Mandy, are you ready? Uh, I can make myself ready. I might go for some obvious characters if that's okay. Of course. Um, yeah, I'll fuck men. Just, just poor girl going like she's headed into the tower blind and super uncomfortable. Poor girl had to wear like a dress and long hair. So, and then the makeup disaster. I, you know, I, she held her own, even though I mean, I think we talked earlier, she could have been a different person possibly if she wasn't so heartsick for Rand, but she's still really funny. Like even through all that, her humor is fabulous. Um, Mary, kind of I'm gonna give it to Pura and partly just because I like her and she's probably trying the best she can and I'm connecting the dots that man you didn't want to lose your name but we know now you've completely lost it I mean she's been forced into losing it so again I don't know if that's a pity Mary or what but she's doing the best she can um that's that's, that's a rough Mary. life Marry her and carry her away. Yeah, I'll be yeah. your white knight. Yeah, for sure. And then kill definitely Bornhald. I mean, he ordered those white cloaks to do that because I bet they all would have just adopted the dogs, you know, mm-hmm. like that. Don't just Dane Bornhald. So I stole that one from you, Twitch, because I know you would kill him at all costs. So anyway. okay, your turn. Um, I am going to. Fuck Solange because that woman is just a badass. It's like she's 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 told that a shit ton of Ace dying words are gonna die on the same day, and she's like, "Is it gonna happen tomorrow? I don't know. Then I'm not gonna worry about it because I got shit to worry about." And she just moves on with business. She knows what she's about. Um, there she there she has problematic. Um, you know tendencies, but ultimately she's she's just a a, a very I don't know, I, I'm, I'm gonna feel good about it. So um, <laughs> I I'm going to marry I I'm I'm going to marry men, um because I agree pretty much for all the reasons why you fucked her. I I wanted to marry her, um and then. I'm gonna kill Phelan, and I'm pretty sure there's the second one that killed her. She's just such a snarky little stuck-up. I don't know. There's something about her that just rubs me the wrong way, and that's that's why I'm gonna kill that poor. Accepted. So I look forward to an empathy-based podcast about Phelan Morgan. Oh God. So. <laughs> <It's a rough laughs> empathy Have you gone there yet? 
Why? Oh no, I'm not that far yet. I'm still doing stuff in the Dragon Reborn. I'm I've got to record my intro and outro. Uh, I've got an episode about Varen that I'm going to launch. So, oh, um, that's uh, that's uh, that's going today. Um, and that's I mean it's the Dragon Reborn, but a lot of it's in the Great Hunt because I had to go back and and take all the material I have for her. But yeah. Oh yeah, tell uh, us more where we can find you, Morgan. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm on Twitter at Warder Gray, and that's Gray with an E. And um, I will have links there to my podcast. And um, there's a link to my Discord there as well. And uh, yeah, that's, that's where I am. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you jumping on with us tonight. It's been a blast. And it's, and it's so good to have like at least two smart people on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um so so yeah thank you so much um and with that everyone be excellent to each other and party on dudes party on dudes <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of the glee man's apprentice the glee man's apprentice is available on spotify pocket cast google podcast breaker and radio public our theme song is written by Twitch Avery and performed by Andrew Bard of Time. So Morgan, I love the um, the empathy based look <laughs> to the. I do love literary analysis, but I'm I'm like the geek. That was my thing back in high school. Was mm-hmm. I can. I remember the first one I ever did. It was. Um, uh the scarlet letter mm-hmm. i dug into pearl and i insisted she had adhd or something <laughs> like that i was like she's not a rotten child she just really struggles with attention deficit and like i just poured into it well, yeah it's uh it's a lot of fun well for one reason you know for one thing it allows me to be you know a little bit lazier like last week or the weekend before i actually went for a walk with my high school english teacher and he's like you know how are you doing are you writing and i'm like you know oh no i'm, I'm delving into someone else's writing because it's easier and i was like yeah basically i'm like constantly writing a paper but it's nice because I can be really lazy about it and you know it's like I don't have to worry about transitions or whatever if I'm not sure how to move one paragraph into another I just say you know fuck and I just kind of like slide it in together but yeah it's nice because it's like I can I can do good literary analysis but it's also a lot about like my feelings and my speculations and opinions and you know and so it's good to look at it from a perspective of like you know how did he write it? What was he thinking of when he wrote it? Um, and that's useful particularly for things he didn't do particularly well, because there's lots he didn't do very well, and also useful for things he did do incredibly well, which there's lots of that too. And then useful for things like, like I had to do a two-part empathy building episode about Nynaeve, because I'm not a big fan of her early in the series. And uh, so I had to do that and kind of dig into you know, because I don't like angry people or dealing with anger and it kind of broke down about, no, I think she has massive anxiety issues and she's coping with that, you know, with her anger. And it, it really was yeah. helpful, you know, and 